A reading from 1 Corinthians. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, at first glance, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which we just heard CJ read the very beginning opening lines and verses from tonight, seems like nothing more than a nice greeting and thanksgiving among friends. And you're going to have to forgive me a little bit for opening tonight with a bit of a history lesson, but I think that the weight and the significance of this passage becomes much clearer when we understand a bit more about the people that it was written to. So the city of Corinth was resettled by Julius Caesar as a Roman colony about 50 years before Jesus was born. It was initially repopulated by uh, a bunch of recently freed men who were sent from Rome, whose status was just that above a slave. And so because Corinth lacked a landed aristocracy in the way that it once had and the way that so many uh, cultures established themselves, an aristocracy of money soon developed, along with a fiercely independent spirit. Economic prosperity eventually returned to the city, and with it, folks from all over the world with different religions and different cultures flocked to Corinth. But the Hellenistic vices of old, of sex and the worshiping of the individual mind were still there for all to partake. As one biblical commentator says, the addiction and devotion to money, sex, and personal autonomy present in Paul's Corinth made it the New York City, the Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. But don't let that mislead you. I think that it'd be much more helpful to, and more accurate to say that Paul's Corinth and the people that he addressed in that letter were people just like you and me. They were people who lived in a place like Charlottesville. They were people who live just about anywhere these days in our modern world. People who were looking for freedom and who were looking for salvation in things like sex and money and food and politics and parenting and education. People who think that they're free, modern people who have cast aside the old way of thinking and now see themselves as empowered to do the right thing, but also to do the thing that they want whenever they want to. But of course, just like the Corinthians, we aren't as free as we think. Our vices end up becoming our shackles and our failures become chains. This is why Paul's words are so powerful to us, they're powerful to the Corinthians, 
people who are hungry for true freedom. To those people, Paul reminds them of the riches and the strength that they've received through the grace of God. In every way, you've been enriched in Him, in speech and knowledge of every kind. He will strengthen you to the end, Paul says. To the self-satisfied and creature-oriented Corinthians, boasting in their self-actualized freedom, Paul gives a word of thanksgiving that's glaringly God and Christ-centered. Everything comes from God and is given through Jesus Christ, including true freedom. At certain points in our lives, the myth of our personal freedom and autonomy wears off, and at times it wears off in really painful ways. Perhaps we look back at the different chapters of our lives and sometimes find it difficult to even recognize ourselves, always attempting to be the person we thought we were supposed to be at that time, always striving to please someone or some idea of the perfect, capable, and successful man or woman of the day. That was what we were supposed to look like. That was who we were supposed to be. When we look back and see that, we realize that we never were truly free. We were always trying to be someone else. Or perhaps even more painfully, you might look back at the different chapters of your life or just think about your present reality here tonight. And what you see is a person who has failed to live up to the expectations and the demands that you're swimming in. Maybe you look back and see a person who tried to be the good student, the good mother, the creative and savvy business person, the attentive spouse, all the while carving out time and space for your really interesting hobbies that you would use to impress others at the dinner party. You felt the need and you felt the law. You feel the need and you feel the law to be all of those things, but you failed in some way or another. You were or you are just you, attempting and failing to be someone else. In his beautiful and powerful new song, East October, which is a song that's on John Moreland's album that's coming out, In February, he sings about someone realizing that they were always trying to be someone else, trying to project some better version of themselves out into the world, whatever image the world has told them is the right image for them to project. He sings, looking back, all my pictures look like send-ups of stolen scriptures. We were children dressed up like men, painting places that we'd never been. When we come face to face with the reality that we never were and never will be able to call ourselves truly free on account of anything that we've done, by cultivating the proper identity, by satisfying our desires, by finding the perfect partner who will provide all the support we need, by successfully living the good life we've chosen for ourselves, when we realize that our attempts to do these things are misguided or end up in failure, or that that life was never even one that we chose for ourselves, we're left with a really empty and lonely feeling. How am I ever going to get by? How am I ever going to get by all by myself? John Moreland sings. 
Well, the good news for us and for the Corinthians and for all men and women and children in every time and in every place is that we're not all by ourselves. We may be painfully aware that we have guilt and regret and loneliness uh, as our companions on this difficult journey, but the powerful presence and gift of God's grace has a hold of our lives as well. And in that grace, we find true freedom. Paul reminds us, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. True freedom doesn't come from a political Savior. It doesn't come from our own ability to will it and achieve it on our own. Instead, it enters in through the painful cracks of our lives. In those moments when we realize we aren't free and we feel like we've lost everything. It's in those moments that our sins and failures and the pieces of our broken hopes and dreams are replaced with God's grace. Replaced by the one who took our place on the cross so that you and I might be free and found blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Free from having to do it all on our own. Free from having to save ourselves. Free from having to do the impossible, from fixing our past and securing our perfect futures. Free from being alone and having to get by all by myself. Even free enough to pick up a rattlesnake. Now that's a pretty hard pivot that I just made and I'm going to attempt to make, so please... Bear with me for a minute. I'm not standing up here tonight before you, I promise, promoting necessarily snake handling. But I am absolutely suggesting that all of you immediately go home tonight and find some way to read the book Salvation on Sand Mountain by Alabama native and UVA graduate Dennis Covington. It's an incredible book that tells Covington's personal story of the handful of years he spent with a snake handling community in the Appalachian Mountains in the mid-90s. You might assume that a book written about these neighbor of ours by someone who was then a New York Times reporter would be full of rational critique and mockery, but Covington's book is nothing like that. With real grace, he writes in a way that extends humanity and dignity to the worship and way of life of these men and women. Snake handling's only been around for about a hundred years, and this book begins by describing its origin as a response to the false freedoms of the modern world, observed by a group of people seeking a true sense of freedom. Southerners are as peculiar a people now as we ever were, Covington writes. And the fact that our culture is under attack has forced us to become even more peculiar than we were before. Snake handling, for instance, didn't originate back in the hills somewhere. It started when people came down from the hills to discover they were surrounded by a hostile and spiritually dead culture. All along their border with the modern world in places like Newport, Tennessee, and Sand Mountain, Alabama, they recoiled. They threw up defenses. When their own resources failed, they called down the Holy Ghost. 
They put their hands through fire. They drank poison. And they took up serpents. When their own resources failed, when they realized that the world couldn't save them and that they couldn't save themselves, they called down the Holy Ghost. And relying and believing so strongly in the radical grace of God, they felt the freedom to do the unthinkable, to take up a copperhead in their right hand and a rattlesnake in their left. Covington writes that paradoxically, the freedom experienced by these snake handlers is entered into through surrender. Handlers talk about receiving the Holy Ghost, but when the Holy Ghost is fully come upon someone, the expression on their face reads as though someone or something were being violently taken away from them. The paradox of Christianity, one of many of which Jesus speaks, is that only in losing ourselves do we find ourselves. When we lose ourselves, when the idea that we can save ourselves is violently taken away from us, God's grace finds us. And in God's grace is the freedom to breathe, is the freedom to live and the strength to endure. We may not be able to stand blameless before the world or before each other or before a mirror. The Holy Ghost has descended upon us and washed us clean with the blood of Christ. By the grace of God, we've been freed to stand blameless before the Lord. You certainly don't have to pick up a rattlesnake. In fact, you don't have to do anything other than receive the free gift of your salvation that will strengthen you to the end. Because when your own resources fail, fear not, because the perfect freedom of God's grace will never, ever fail. Amen.